the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Can the external pressures of life, the mental, the physical, the emotional beatings one takes because he's a Christian, and I'm talking about suffering in general, all mankind suffers, but Christians suffer for their faith. Will they cause us to abandon Christ and forfeit his love? Will they? Well, let's keep that in mind. Paul's asking a question. Will tribulation do it? A retired Marine friend of mine often reminds the complainers around him that pain is just weakness leaving your body. Well, that's sometimes true, but not always. Pain may be an indication that something in your body needs repair. But it is always true that God uses pain in the lives of his followers to make us stronger in our faith. No amount of physical or emotional pain will ever separate a genuine Christ follower from the love of God. Now, how do we know that? Well, the Bible says exactly that, as we'll see today on Verse by Verse. It's good to have you along today as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues his study of God's sovereignty and our security. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our text has been in the latter part of Romans chapter 8. Today, as we begin our class, Pastor Steve is considering verse 35, which says in part, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then the Apostle Paul went on to list several possibilities, only to conclude that in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, with that fantastic promise in mind, how do you answer Paul's question? Here's Pastor Steve now with our lesson. Will Christ cut off his love if you go too far in your life? An important question. And I want you to know, secondly, he's not referring to God's love in general for all of mankind. Because even the unregenerate have God's love. I know some teach, and I think erroneously, that God doesn't love the unsaved. That's just not found in the word of God. God loves all, for God so loved the world of mankind. And I believe Christ died for all. But I don't think this question is referring to God's love in general for all of mankind. I think it's referring to his special affection for his people. His salvation kind of love. Not saying that he doesn't love everyone, but there is a special kind of intimate affection that God pours out in Christ upon his people. Look back at verse 29. You see that expression, for whom he foreknew? Remember when we went over that, I said the word foreknew does not mean, or foreknow does not mean to just know ahead of time. God knows everyone ahead of time. The word know or knew in the Bible speaks of intimacy. For instance, in Amos 3.2, we read that, that Jehovah says to Israel, Only you of all the families in the world have I loved. Now is God saying, uh, or have I known rather, only you have I known, Israel, of all the families. Is God saying, I don't know anybody else? No, of course not. He's saying, of all the families and all the world, only you, Israel, 
have I set my special affection of intimate love. We read in the Old Testament that Cain knew his wife. It didn't mean he was introduced to her. It mean they, they had an intimate physical relationship. And so when this expression for new or foreknown is used in the Bible, it means that beforehand God determined to set his affection on someone. That is how the word known is used. So he's speaking about his love relationship. And the question is this, what difficulties will separate us, the ones who God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified from Christ's intimate love? That's the thought there. So Paul is using love synonymous with salvation or relationship with Christ. Is there anything that can ever cause God to stop loving you in this special way? Anything? We know he never stops loving in a general way, but how about this salvation kind of love? Anything that could break up our, our personal relationship with him? Well, some people say, yes, there is. And I've known people to do this, they say. Well, they feel that certainly God won't fail us, but we can fail him. That certainly he won't forsake us, but we can forsake him. And the thought is this. They say this, and I want you to understand the real issue here. They say, suppose some incredible situation happens in your life and it totally overwhelms you. Overwhelms you to the point where you abandon Christ and lose your faith in him. They say that will cause Christ to break his relationship with you. And they say the reason is that you first broke your relationship with him. That's the issue here, and I want you to understand it clearly. So with this problem in mind, and it is a problem, the apostle calls upon the worst adversities of life. The worst adversities that a Christian could possibly face in order to determine could these separate him from Christ's love. So let's look back at verse 35 again. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Could these things do it? Well, let's go down the list. By the way, this is life at its worst for a Christian. Life at its absolute worst. This is, this is the pits. If this can't do it, nothing can. These are the most stressful situations that life has to offer. These are the situations that some people think can cause us to lose our salvation. How about tribulation? Shall tribulation do it? Can difficulties do it? The Greek word for tribulation simply means pressure. That's all, pressure. It means to be squeezed, like you would squeeze some toothpaste. Squeeze, pressure. It means the pressures of life and the stressful external circumstances. I think it's speaking more of external circumstances than internal difficulties. It's interesting to note that the root of the, of the English word, tribulation, refers to thrashing. Thrashing. In Paul's day, the Romans would separate the wheat uh, from the chaff by an instrument called a tribulum. A tribulum. And a tribulum was a sort of sledge or a wooden platform studded underneath with sharp pieces of flint or iron uh, teeth. The Romans would swing that tribulum through the air and beat upon the wheat. They would just beat that wheat. But there came a time in the early days of the Christian church when believers received so much beating and so much external pressures because of their faith that it seemed as though they were beaten just like that wheat. And so the word tribulum was brought over into the language, and we call it tribulation, beating, pressure. 
Pressures for the sake of the gospel, that's the thought here. Can the external pressures of life, the mental, the physical, the emotional beatings one takes because he's a Christian, and that's talking about suffering in general. All mankind suffers, but Christians suffer for their faith. Will they cause us to abandon Christ and forfeit his love? Will they? Well, let's keep that in mind. Paul's asking a question. Will tribulation do it? How about distress? If tribulation refers to the external pressures of life, then distress refers to the internal pressures. And probably the thought here is, is temptation, because this Greek word literally means narrow. And the thought is of being hemmed in with no way out. You ever felt like that? No way out. The difficulties of, of internal temptation to sin. It's internal, it's not external. Inward distress. Can strong temptations cause you to say, Lord, that's it, I'm gone. Can't take it anymore. Well, that's what Paul's asking. How about persecution? Jesus said in John 15 that the world will hate the believer. Not they might hate them, they will hate them. And in John 16, he told his Jewish disciples specifically how the world would lash out at them. He said that there's coming a day when you are going to be put out of the synagogues. You're going to be excommunicated. Now, to a Jew, that was really important. To be put out of the synagogue meant to be cut off from the social and religious life of Israel. That was their whole frame of reference. For a Jew in the first century to experience that was, was the worst thing that life had to offer. And he said, some of you will be killed. Can a Christian stand up to this kind of suffering? I mean, if you were cut off from your family members, if you were cut off from society, if you were cut off from all the friends you've ever had, could you handle it? Could you reach a point where you would say, my relationship with Christ isn't worth this kind of abuse? I'm just getting out of this. Lord, it's been nice knowing you, but I'm gone. I can't take it anymore. I need social interaction. I'm too lonely without them. Well, that's what Paul is asking. Shall persecution do it? How about famine? He says, shall famine. We don't know much in this country about famine, but Paul did, and the early missionaries and witnesses for the gospel knew about famine. Sometimes our relationship with Christ, he says, might cause us to go without food. You're willing to accept that? Could you experience hunger and thirst for the sake of the gospel? Let me ask you this. If you were stuck in some prison cell for Christ because of your faith in him, left to die there because of lack of food and water, would you renounce Christ? Would you say, I've got to eat? I've, I, I'm not going to die like this? How about if it meant not getting a promotion at work and you were, you were passed up for someone else and it meant that your family would not eat as well as they could have if you had gotten that raise, but you took a stand for Christ? Would you stop taking a stand for him? Would you say, I don't believe in him anymore? That's the question. The next one, Paul says, is what about nakedness? If you were in need of clothes because of poverty, would you turn away from Christ because you felt that he no longer cared for you? We don't know much about this in America, but other Christians do in other parts of the world. If you didn't have much clothes and you felt that God had abandoned you, would you abandon him? Paul says, or what about peril? Basically, peril means your life is always in jeopardy. That was the way Paul's was. That was the way the early apostles had it. All the time, you, your life is in jeopardy because people are always plotting to kill you. And then Paul says the last situation is to be killed. He says, or sword. Would you die for Christ? Let me put it this way. Would you be willing to die for Christ? You don't have the grace right now to die for Christ. But would you be willing to die for him? 
Would you renounce your faith rather than die for him? When Paul wrote these words, he had no idea what the future held for him, for individual Christians. He had no idea that in a matter of years, he would die by the sword right near Rome. He'd be put to death not far from Rome, and his readers, who were the, were the men and women at Rome, whose blood was to soak the sands of the Roman amphitheaters. These very people who read this in a matter of years, just a few short years, when persecution would break out with Nero, Caesar, it would be their blood that would soak those sands. Nero would persecute without any mercy. Uh, they, these Christians, these very Christians who read about security, and I'm sure it comforted them at the time, they would be mauled to death by wild beasts, slain by the sword, soaked in pitch and tar before being fastened to poles in the palace gardens and lit up as living human torches to keep the lights burning in Nero's gardens. Could they stand up to this? Or would they say, this is too much? I can't handle it. I'll deny Christ rather than saying that he's Lord as opposed to Caesar being Lord. See, that was what they were faced with. You say Christ is Lord and not Caesar is Lord, and this is what's going to happen to you. Well, Paul asked this question. Can these things, I mean, these are the worst, right? Can't think of anything worse than this. Can these things cause us to abandon faith in Christ? Now, this is life at its worst. Could we stand up to these adversities without falling away from Christ? And this is a very, very valid question even today. Now, maybe you, you will not be tarred and put on a, on a pole and lit up. Maybe you'll not be mauled to death by lions in the amphitheaters. Maybe you'll not be slain by the sword. Then again, maybe we will someday. But even if we're not, this is a very valid uh, question because these are the norms for a Christian's life. I want you to know that. If not these specific categories, certainly stressful situations are. Look at verse 36. Just as it is written, Paul is supporting what he's just said. Just as it is written, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, what is Paul doing? Where, where did this come from? Why did he say this? Paul is quoting from Psalm 44, verse 22. In the, in the Old Testament, in order to prove that life for God's people always is facing difficult circumstances. It was this way since the beginning of time. It has always been this way. Those who stand for righteousness always are persecuted. Maybe not with these specifics, but with other things. In our day and age, it's more psychological, the persecution. It's more ridicule. It's more, it's more peer pressure. It's more lack of job promotion. It's more your friends turning away and being socially ostracized. It's really not the point to say how we get persecuted. It's just that when you stand for righteousness, it will always be this way. It will always elicit that kind of persecution in difficult circumstances. It has always been this way. Way back in the Old Testament, it was this way, and now in the church age, it's this way. Would you turn to Hebrews? Let me support that. Hebrews chapter 11. Great chapter on faith. Men and women who, who walked with God and believed the word of God you say, was life a piece of cake for them? Was it a breeze? We often just look at the first part of chapter 11 and forget that in spite of what they went through, they believed God. But verse 36 and 38 tell, tell us that some of them endured horrible circumstances. Verse 36, 
and others experience mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the grounds. It's always been this way. Great men and women of faith experienced the worst that the world had to offer. That's not all. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they, what, persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's nothing new. God's choicest servants have been persecuted. So don't think that this is new. No, it's always been this way. In fact, you go back in the Old Testament and you see Daniel suffering for righteousness. And you see Joseph suffering for righteousness. And you see Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weeping because of what's going to happen to God's people and that they rejected the message of Jeremiah. Thrown in a pit, dishonored by God's very people. They were all persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is nothing new. In fact, it is the norm for us. The norm. John chapter 15, it's the classic passage in the New Testament on it. And Jesus said in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, and he had said it before and he was just telling them again, a slave is not greater than his master. Everyone would agree, that, agree with that. A slave's not greater than his master. What's the application? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. In other words, they'll treat you exactly the way they've treated me. If the world hates Christ, and it does then you know that the world hates us, and it does. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, look, now you're getting affliction, but don't be concerned. I told you that it had to happen. This isn't anything new. You were destined for this. In fact, we're called. It's suffering is a gift, according to Philippians. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised by it. Don't let it catch you off guard. Say, oh, I didn't know this was all part of the package. It is. 2 Timothy 3.11 says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, that doesn't mean every day of our lives we're going to be persecuted. But it does mean that if you're standing for righteousness and confronting the world with holy standards, and you're living for Christ... You are a rebuke to the system. And somewhere along the line in your life, it's going to bring out the world's wrath. Maybe not every day. Obviously not every, not every day. But if you're living godly, somewhere, sometime, you are going to experience the world's persecution. More psychological, perhaps, than physical, but nonetheless persecution. You know why these truths may not have a great impact on us? I'll tell you why. Because... We don't, as a rule in our Western evangelical churches, we don't live the kind of godly lives that bring out the world's hatred of Christ's righteousness and Christians. We're too busy compromising for the world to see any difference between us and them. We're too busy trying to be like them. We're too busy trying to win them to Christ by being like them so that the world has nothing to persecute us about. Why should they persecute us if we're just like them? They don't want to persecute themselves. It's only when by our godly lives 
and our witness that we are a rebuke to their system, that they come out against us. Because what we're saying to them is we reject your system. It is a false system, and you are wrong. And the world and its pride just isn't going to tolerate that. So if they're not persecuting you, if you've never had any encounter of persecution and rebuke for your godliness, then you're not living godly lives, or at least you're living a godly life in a secret, secretive kind of way where nobody knows it. And I think there's another reason why this may not seem realistic to many of us, this truth, that we're being put to death all day long, we're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Because some Bible teachers don't teach this. In fact, they teach just the opposite. They teach uh, what I call the prosperity gospel. That God's plan for you in this age is to be rich and wealthy and live in comfort. I mean, the, the, the thinking is you're a king's kid. Live like a king. Well, in this age, a king's kid lives by being slaughtered all the time. In the kingdom age, it's a different story. This is not the kingdom age. And so living like a king's kid means you live like the king who is rejected by this age and persecuted. So if you're a king's kid, you live like the king and you're treated like the king. Persecution. Paul said that the norm for the Christian is not to have a life of comfort and ease and wealth, but in this day and age, it's to be a sheep to be slaughtered. It's always been that way. It always will be until the kingdom comes. Now, I want you to know God doesn't shelter us from the storms of life, does he? But the question raised by Paul is, do the storms of life destroy our faith? That's the real issue. Do they destroy our faith? And there's no better answer to this, by the way, than Paul's own life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Marvelous passage. Paul illustrates it in his own life. 2 Corinthians 11, 24. Five times I was beaten from the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such uh, external things, he goes on to say, I, I have pressure in other areas. Did Paul leave the faith? No, of course not. Did these adversities cause Paul to abandon Christ? Did they turn him away from Jesus? Did they cause him to reject the faith and say, I can't handle it, I'm going back to Judaism? I'm going to be a Pharisee again. It was easier that way. No, he didn't do that. No, a true Christian always, always, always perseveres to the end. Now, he may backslide at times, and he may get carnal at times, but ultimately, he will not abandon the faith. He will not reject the faith. Jesus said in John 8, 31, you prove to be my disciples because you keep my word. And that's the proof of salvation. No one can tell if another person is truly saved until the very end, when we have persevered through everything Satan and this world can throw at us. Pastor Steve will continue that line of thought on the next Verse by Verse as he wraps up this series of lessons about God's sovereignty and our security. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For service times and directions, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or go to the website, lakesidechapel.com. Pastor Steve has a special interest in helping the visually impaired, so let me tell you about an opportunity for our blind listeners. 
If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or call 800-838-5924. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry, and we're thankful for those who help us keep producing and airing these daily radio Bible classes. We try to make it as easy as we can for anyone God moves towards participation. So if that's you, let me tell you about two ways you can give. First is online through the giving page at our website, versebyverseradio.org. And the other is by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. We praise the Lord for the generous listeners who give and also for those who can't give but still pray for us. But we do hope that as you give to Verse by Verse, you'll not neglect your own home church. Oh, and while you're visiting the website, check out the Message Archive page where we make hundreds of previous broadcasts freely available for streaming or downloading. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. What a fantastic blessing it is to be 100% sure of our salvation. I hope you'll join Pastor Steve Kreloff for the encouraging final lesson in this series about God's sovereignty and our security. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.